Hello and welcome to the Foodies Reviewing Movies podcast. I'm your host, Callie, and thank you so much for joining me for this holiday special. Happy holidays, everyone. We have such a fun episode. We have James from the 13th floor join us in the studio recently to talk about this dark comedy horror Christmas movie. Maybe you wouldn't always think to combine those together, but this is one of my more favorite holiday movies. And if you didn't look at the title yet, you're going to find out in just a second what movie it is that we reviewed for this one. Before we get to that, though, just wanted to let you know we will be taking our holiday break next week. So we will return on Friday, January 5th with another episode and with James again. But also I get to introduce you all to someone new. I'm so excited to get to uh, to have this fellow on the podcast. He's a good friend of mine. So not only do we get to have great friends, but also great conversation involving a cult classic. I'm talking Evil Dead, baby. Yes, it is such a great episode. You have that to look forward to in the new year. So before we get there, though, you got to listen to this one. This one's great. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to rate or subscribe, please do so. We would be happy to hear from you. Also, we have our social media information toward the end of the episode. And if you don't want to do that, just tell a friend about it. That's totally fine. Thank you again for listening. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. I'll say it again next time we have an episode drop. I hope that your time is as enjoyable and the best that it can be. All right, here is our episode. Today we have James from the 13th Floor Podcast. Welcome back, James. Hey, thanks for having me. You're welcome. I'm glad to have you. How are you and your arachnids and various projects doing? Uh, they're all doing good. It's, uh, yeah, one of them actually smoothly just molted and now they have magenta on their abdomen. So it's it's the fun thing about keeping spiders is watching them change and develop. Um, yeah. Yeah. And as far as projects, yeah, 13th floor is still on hiatus. Uh, Cece is very pregnant. Yeah. And, uh, um, but I, I have guested recently on Hillbilly Horror Stories, and I've guested on uh, One More Thing Before You Go with Michael Hurst. So, highly recommend people check those out. And I'm still doing copywriting under the auspices of Leo Copywriting. Fantastic. And so, you can find uh, Hillbilly Horror Stories and uh, One More Thing Before You Go on any of the major platforms for exactly. Podcasts whatever you're comfortable listening to. Fantastic. And same thing with 13th floor as well. Correct. Exactly. And then you guys do have Facebook and Instagram too. We do. And Instagram is probably the best way to, to directly reach us. Perfect. Excellent. And then you guys, I do believe have a website. We do 13th floor podcast.com. And that's another way to get in contact with you all too. Absolutely. Fantastic. So listeners, if you are interested, it's a great podcast. I've guessed on there as well. You're welcome. We did an episode about premonitions together. And cannibals. And cannibals. That's right. We did. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, it's just, it's, I think probably you said your most uh, favorite episodes, at least for when viewers are like, oh my gosh, I love this type of episode. It's usually the abandoned places, right? 
Yeah, abandoned places. And I also really like remote viewing uh, for selfish reasons. I really love my rant about tomatoes. <laughs> I think, I think, yep, yep. I remember that one. Mm. That was one of your guys's earlier, earlier episodes. Yeah, yeah that was a fun one. I'm definitely excited for whenever y'all are able to to come back, but also I do understand uh, CC uh, and yeah. Alex are yeah. very busy being paid. Absolutely, yeah. Me so. too, though. We've we've got a lot of responses. People saying they need their 13th floor fix, and I'm like, well, join the club. I, I'm, <laughs> I miss doing it. So, well, hopefully, you all will be able to be back in the saddle soon. But yeah. there are plenty of episodes that can be listened to until then again. Definitely. So I like to go through and re-listen and sometimes to episodes of of your all show but also other ones as well so we got two christmas episodes so if you're feeling uh festive feel free to check those out yes and well speaking of christmas this is our (laughs) christmas our holiday episode and if you're wanting listeners a scary merry christmas then oh boy do we have just the movie for (laughs) you james which movie are we talking about in this episode we are talking about 2015's uh, modern classic, Krampus. Yes, Krampus. Such a, such a fun way to say it. So sinister sounding. Mm. Uh, it's the American take of the centuries-old Bavarian folklore of mm. Krampus. And uh, it was directed by Michael Doherty, who's known for Trick or Treat and Godzilla King of the Monsters. He was at the helm of this sinister sleigh. And with this frightful flick comes a rich mythos. And uh, we have a myriad of avenues really that we could go ahead and discuss when it comes to Krampus, both in history and culture. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit about not just Krampus in this movie, but the movie and beyond. We have a lot we can discuss. So let's let's dig in. Let's go ahead and get started with our amuse bouche. Two questions in our amuse bouche. James, what is your favorite Christmas movie for the first one? Uh, it's it's a pretty close tie. I really love National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. That's mm-hmm. it's a must see. And one that not enough people have seen, in my opinion, is Christmas with the Cranks. That is mm-hmm. such a fun Christmas movie and more people need to watch it because it's very funny. Yeah, yeah. I've seen that one as well. That is a good one. Uh, I mean, Lampoon yeah. Christmas is a really good one. Is there any other movies you typically watch during the holidays that are sort of must watches? Uh, Elf, A Christmas mm-hmm. Story, and um, Nightmare Before Christmas. That's That one's Halloween and Christmas, but yeah. Yeah, that perfect in-between Mm. from the the seasons changing from one to another yeah christmas story is on mine we always have to watch it at least my dad and i my mom is sort Mm. of indifferent but my dad and i usually watch it then we of course always watch elf i like throwing home alone on this little Uh, nostalgic vehicle uh there i also like that is a good one yeah yeah it's just fun it's very christmassy i mean that's immediately if i watch it i'm i'm in the spirit and the mood of Christmas. I think it's fun to watch uh, Home Alone and Die Hard back to back because they're really <laughs> similar. Um, I mean, they're both ba- basically two individuals laying traps for folks. Just one's very violent and one's more slapstick. Yes, still. yes. Now I actually I wasn't going to ask this question in this podcast, but now you've you've stepped in the, uh, in the in forced the, your hand in the trap here, James. Um, do you feel like Die Hard is a Christmas movie or just a movie that takes place at Christmas? 
I, I definitely think it qualifies because in my opinion, a Christmas movie doesn't have to have the overlapping theme of Christmas. It's a movie that makes you feel like it's Christmas time. It puts you in that spirit mm -hmm. and die hard as irrational as it may sound <laughs> makes me feel like Christmas is here. Oh, there's, there's strong arguments on both sides. I, yeah. I did not realize that when talking with people, like recently I talked with a couple of people and they're like, I have an argument as to why it's not a Christmas movie. And they were like, they were adamant. <laughs> so that might be next next holiday season. That might be a, a several people episode where we just have discussion <laughs> and duke it out. Because uh, that's, I mean, that's fun to always do. Also, I, I like to watch, uh, let's see. So I said Home Alone, Family Stone, Harry Potter is something that my mom always has on during the holidays. Uh, the, d doing the whole like great hall and having the different festivities comes up always does make me feel really like seasonal and festive. Uh, one that may not be anticipated when I'm about to say this is uh, Black Christmas from like 2019. Um <clears throat> Not the Black Xmas from 2006. That one is terrible. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm talking about the one from like three years ago. And uh, it's it's like, it's a Slayer that takes, like a Slayer film that takes place at a college. And mm -hmm. it's just, it, it it it's at Christmas. Like they talk about how right. they're the the holiday orphans because they're not going home to, to see family or anything like that. So they're throwing their own Christmas and things get a little bloody. So. <laughs> Uh, but definitely one I would like to talk about eventually on this podcast. Now, our second question, what are your favorite savory and sweet Christmas treats? Uh, I love any kind of turkey dish. At some point, I want to like actually have a Christmas goose. I think mm -hmm. that would be fun. But turkey in general for savory, um, charcuterie for savory, mm -hmm. and then uh, for sweet I I really love eggnog personally. Big fan of eggnog, and I'm a big fan of mince pie. Oh, okay. What, now, what's in minced pie again, please? Mince pie, which is sometimes called mince meat pie, because that's what's in it, and that confuses a lot of people because they're like, "Oh, it's like a meat pie." It is not. Mince meat is chopped up fruits, usually currants, dates, things like that. So it's just an assortment of fruit with usually cooked down with like rum or some kind of spirit brandy and then made into a pie. And so it just, it has all the Christmas spice components and all the, the kind of citrus notes and tropical notes you kind of expect from like Christmassy fruits. Cause it's not exactly a time to eat, uh, you know, summertime fruits. It's not a yeah. peach season. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. I, I, thought it wasn't actually like meat carnivore meat mm, you know right. but I, I could not recall off the top of my head what it was so that's yeah. that's interesting um yeah i've never had finally chopped dried fruits pretty much that's the okay. cliff notes and so mm. is it sort of like similar i mean to more like a chicken pot pie of fruit yeah that's a that's a decent way of phrasing it yeah I would, I would think more like a, a little bit like uh, think about like what a quiche shell is like you know oh, the okay. little pastry shell yeah and now add like you know plum and currant and raisin and all that okay okay yeah i could dig that cinnamon nutmeg you know the the, the usual suspects hmm that sounds really good actually mm. <laughs> i might have to find some this holiday <laughs> season um mine i mean i i always really like having buckeyes 
and Oreo um, balls. Um, thank you for the Buckeyes, by the you're way. You're welcome. Did you get to try one yet? <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> well, let me know what you think when you're done. Do. It's, it's just the second run of me making them. Uh, <laughs> of course, you know, you have Christmas cookies and you got like little Debbie's Christmas trees. And uh, there's some, there's uh, these like bell-shaped Reese's that you can get uh, during the holiday. And I've always liked those. Um, and of course, you got to have like your, your triple flavor popcorn. You got to get your tin, oh, yeah. your $10 yep. tin and go ahead and have your popcorn. But something I, I mentioned to you before we started recording, something that is a major staple from my childhood. Mm-hmm. And I forgot about it. And so I started thinking about it really hard. And I was like, what did I normally have when I, when I grew up? And, you know, typically we would have actually Italian food at Christmas because my mom grew up in sure. New York and in a, in a mostly predominantly Italian neighborhood. Uh, so usually like chicken parm, lasagna, stuff mm-hmm. like that. And I'm like, but what did we have for dessert? And every Christmas up until I would say we, I was in high school. It was like, I think shortly after my grandmother passed away, we mm-hmm. would order Swiss colony uh, oh, you know about Swiss colony? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Anyone who is not familiar, it is like just the grand poopa of smorgasbord of like cheeses and meats and desserts. Yeah, summer and- sausage and yeah, hard cheddar and yeah. Yes. So Swiss colony, check it out if you've not been there. It is just amazing. And we would get <laughs> Dobosh tort. Have you ever had the uh, dobosh? No, dobosh. it's a multi-layer like chocolate covered cake. Uh. Yeah, so there's a really really thin sponge. Then there's like this almost like a truffle kind of like frosting filling, like ganache. Yeah, more similarly to that. And they do it like twelve layers, uh. but they're really thin layers. So it's mm. a really light cake. And it just is, it's something that if I even see a picture automatically, I'm like, Christmas time is here. Uh, it's nice. Dobosh season. <laughs> I haven't had a Dobosh in years. I, I'm afraid to actually order one because what if it doesn't live up to the expectations? Uh, right. <laughs> it's such Funny. a good memory. So yeah, Swiss Colony, check it out. I mean, they've got mm-hmm. boxes of truffles and they've got just all the things, all the things you could want at Christmas time. They have it, <laughs> savory and sweet. So check it out. Well, Now that the kiln of conversation has heated up a bit, I think this is the perfect time to roll out our delicious doughy discussion of these mouth-watering morsels featured in today's Apps Haps. In our movie, Krampus, the Ingle family is our main focus. And when we get to their house, we find a Christmas carol playing on the kitchen TV as Omi, the grandmother, is making some delicious treats. And this is where we get to see our our first and really only batch of Christmas cookies. We see just a different array of Austrian desserts covering practically every surface in that kitchen. Here are a few of the desserts that were featured. I figured we could talk about. I know you are familiar with some of them, James. Maybe some of them you aren't. We're going to find out right now. There's three main ones that we're going to be talking about. And then we're also going to talk about some some really delectable drinks as well. So the first thing I wanted to talk about is the Christmas stolen bread. And uh, it's it's a yeast bread that consists of nuts and dried fruits and spices and candied yeah. citrus peels. And it's usually just like 
dusted. I, I don't think that's a really great word. Just doused in a thick and powdered sugar. Powdered sugar. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you have you had this before, James? I have. I have. And I've also had the Italian analog uh, Panettone or Panettone. And uh-huh. they're pretty dang similar. What are your thoughts on it? It's very Christmassy. It's super dense. It's a little dry, but like, you know, again, Christmas foods in general, at least European Christmas foods, they're kind of made like like the mincemeat pie, sort of like preserved things because, again, everything's dead outside. Mm-hmm. So the whole point is using things that are easily preserved. And it's it's one of those kinds of cakes or breads that you could probably sit on your hearth <laughs> exposed to the elements for a couple of weeks and it's still not going to taste that different. <laughs> That's awesome. That's no wonder that's popular because especially in like families where maybe they didn't have as much money, they weren't well off financially to have something like that. It's you get your, your, your seasonal spirit, but you also Mm -hmm. get to enjoy that and not have to worry about it going bad quite as quickly. And there's a few different variations of the stolen bread. Um, Are you familiar with some of those variations or you? Uh, I think I've just had the, the boilerplate stolen with the different chopped dried fruits. Little throughout it. Well, here's four different types that uh, I had seen. And uh, daringgourmet.com is where I got some of this information. So there is the Mendelstollen, which is the almond variation. Mm -hmm. There's the the Butterstollen, which is more the high butter content Mm -hmm. uh, of the the stolen breads. Then the the Nussstollen, which are nuts. And Mm -hmm. the Mundstollen, which is poppy seed. Oh, interesting. Yes. So I, I found those fascinating. I also love saying the word stolen, and I think it is now my <laughs> one of my favorite words. So <laughs> I love it. Uh, then we moving on now from our, our stolen bread. Have you ever had Linzer cookies, James? I love Linzer cookies. Tell us about them, James. I It's funny. I don't think of them as a Christmas cookie, uh, but like they're, they're like usually a raspberry uh, occasionally strawberry kind of jam cookie. They're, they kind of remind me of Jammy Dodgers, yeah. which is real popular English cookie. Um, but yeah, they're really good. They're dusted with powdered sugar. They are, they're definitely a sugar rush kind of cookie. They're the kind of cookie you have and you got to be careful because you're going to end up not sleeping <laughs> if you eat too many. Yeah. Don't eat them past 7 PM, everyone. There you go. <laughs> yeah. I, by the way, Jammy Dodger, I just more recently found out about them, but it's just uh, such a fun name. I've never had one, is. but just Jammy Dodger. It sounds like, it reminds me of Dodger from, you know, like what was the movie? Was it uh, Christmas Carol or no? Oh gosh, what Dodger. movie is it? Dodger. He was a Dodger, artful Dodger. I can't remember. I don't know. It's fine. I'm not losing my mind. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long two weeks, but I know the Dodger is a character in, in a movie. Interesting. Um, now I have to look it up. Gosh darn it. Here we go. Let me look it up real fast. Uh, Dodger character. Oliver Twist. That's what it is. Oh, gotcha. The Oliver Twist character. Dodger. Yes. I remember now. Yes, Dodger. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had uh, recently on, I think, Hulu or Disney, which are pretty much the same thing almost at this point, the Artful Dodger, which is where I was like trying to grasp at straws to, to get to. But uh, that's a more recently released film i haven't watched it yet but i am intrigued me neither but yeah so the the going back to our linzer cookies so uh the one that i found was 
on also the crumbsplease.com and this <laughs> this lady named Sabine she wrote the article and said that the recipe that she had it was passed down from generation to generation and she had learned it from her mom and uh, she she pretty much described these as soft buttery sandwiches filled with jam which is pretty yeah. darn close to what you said and just some of the re- the recipe ingredients include powdered sugar apricot jam almond and regular flour egg yolks salt unsalted butter lemon juice and cinnamon i'm assuming also if you did a salted butter maybe that could take care of those two components i don't know mm-hmm. but if you want to see the recipe there is going to be a link in the show notes it's also the crumbsplease.com and then our last treat that we're going to discuss before we move into our drinks is the uh, the venicophil, which is such a fun word to say. <laughs> if you saw it spelled, it would be much different than how it sounds, I feel like. But uh, the venicophil, it's it's just a really nice little looking dessert. It looks lighter. It's a vanilla croissant cookie typically made with ground almonds or walnuts and it's very similar Mm. to like a scottish shortbread interesting yeah and there's no Mm. eggs it's just a ton of butter just a lot of Mm. butter (laughs) so uh i will also include a link for that one that one's Mm. also from also the crumbsplease.com yeah i will say it's pretty easy to get a lot of these foods online because again they're very well preserved and Mm -hmm. for those of you who are local uh that is to say lexington kentucky bluegrass baking company does make linzer cookies at least they did last time i was in oh okay i haven't been there yet do you like oh it's really good like i I, you know no disrespect to the company themselves but uh i actively don't go there because (laughs) i will spend a lot of money Uh and i will consume a lot of calories (laughs) honestly i think that's a great promo for them (laughs) i avoid it because i will eat all the things so (laughs) i think that's a massive compliment (laughs) um so yeah those those are just really cute looking little little cookies so uh then let's move on to some drinks some beverages Mm. so james tell us a little bit about the classic beverage glühwein uh sure yeah and uh, glühwein is one of those things where if you look at uh, central and western europe there's all these analogs, you know, uh, for example, Christmas caroling in England is called wassailing. Here we go, a wassailing. Uh-huh. Um, that's originally, wassail was spiced warmed beer, which became spiced warmed cider, which in some cases became spiced warmed wine. Hmm. And glühwein, glug in Scandinavian countries, uh, glühwein is Germanic, and then mulled wine in uh, England and Britain in general, Uh, They're all kind of the same basic premise, which is you take a nice medium-bodied red wine and you heat it up and you add Christmas spices like cloves and cinnamon, orange peel, all the, you know, usual suspects, nutmeg, cardamom. Uh, The Scandinavians and Germans in particular love to add star anise uh, to to theirs, doubly so in Scandinavia. Uh, But really the main difference between all of them is kind of what you do after and traditionally it was, uh, there's actually a cocktail called a flip mm. and you still see it some places, but it's this idea of you, you literally, you're sitting by the fire fireplace and you have a hot poker sitting in the fire and you put the hot poker into the drink to warm it. And in doing so you flip or invert the sugars. You basically break the sucrose down into glucose and fructose and you change the flavor. 
And uh, that was traditionally what you did with Gluvine and uh, all the other mold wines was you would take a hot poker, you'd add it to it, and that would heat it up. And uh, really what you do after is the big difference. Like in Scandinavian countries, Akavit and vodka are more popular. So it's more likely that you're going to spike it with that. And that's Glug. Whereas in Germany, it's much more common to have brandy or rum. And similarly, in, in England, you're much more likely to have whiskey, rum, or brandy added. Uh, but that's really the only difference. In, in Germany, they actually call Glühwein. Uh, sometimes they'll spike it, and it's just Glühwein. And sometimes you'll just drink it on its own, and you'll have it uh, with a shot of rum. So you're mm. just basically, you, you bo boil out some of that alcohol from the wine, and now you're just adding it back with a spirit. Well, I never heard about the poker heating up the drink before. Yeah. So that's very yeah. interesting. Again, that's that's the most traditional way. Like if you went to like medieval Europe and, mm -hmm. and well, really all the way up until late 19th century Europe. And it's still done some places. That's that's literally how the founding fathers, they would drink flips in the wintertime. Huh. You know, ben Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, they would go to their, their local tavern and they would order a flip. And it was usually in this case, beer with maybe add a whole egg to it. And then you take that hot poker and you'd boil it up and it would invert the sugars, caramelize it and totally change the flavor. That is wild. Mm. Oh, now I want to try it. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so cool. So there, there's the glue vine. And did you say a specific type of red wine that might be best? So really, like really any medium bodied wine. If it's okay. too dry, it's going to be off. It's going to be too tannic mm -hmm. and it's going to offset all those sweet flavors, which you add sugar, incidentally. Um, and, and then if you have too sweet a wine, it's going to go the other way around. It's going to be too sweet. So medium bodied, Burgundy, Bordeaux, Pinot Noir, things in that general ballpark, Rococo. Okay, awesome. And then I thought it would be cool too, as well, um, to talk about, is there much of a difference with like a, a mold wine or is that pretty uh, much just the same thing? Pretty much the same prospect. Yeah. Yeah. Every European country that has access to wine, you know, again, outside of Central and Eastern Europe has some version of this and Glühwein is just the Germanic version. Gotcha. Gotcha. And then there is, you know, I thought it would be nice to include as well uh, a Kinderpunsch, which is, uh, you know, like a kid's punch. And so yeah. I included a recipe from daringgourmet.com that'll be in the show notes as well, but it involves taking apple and orange juice. And uh, you also could substitute like half apple juice and then half cherry if you mm. wanted to change that recipe up a little bit. And then um, you can also have uh, in there some cinnamon sticks, water, whole cloves, whole uh, stearine. It's mold juice is what it is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hibiscus tea is another one mm. that they mentioned in it. Or you can do like loose dried hibiscus petals instead. And then um, add honey for taste. So that's, that that's the good. kids version. Yeah. So I went ahead and I'm going to include that in the show notes as well. So that way, anyone who has kids out there, or maybe you don't want an alcoholic beverage, then you can enjoy this too. So fun for all the ages. Well, we've, we've talked about some great treats. I think it's time for us to go ahead and get into our cinematic entree. So Krampus, it's a movie about a dysfunctional family that finds themselves face to face with frightful fiends. And we're not just talking about the extended family that's visiting for the holidays. Oh, no. The Angles will know everything but tidings of good cheer with this Christmas. So 
it was a, a very, I, I would say, smaller budget in comparison to a lot of other movies. So horror movies typically do have smaller yeah. budgets. It was $15 million, but considering the, the caliber of actors that we got in this. Oh, yeah. And what they did. And uh, the and, special effects, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm shocked that it was only $15 million. Me too, because we have Tony Collette, we have Adam Scott, David uh, Kochner, and, and Allison Tolman, just to name a few. And really, it packs a lot of punch when it comes to the acting but also like you mentioned the effects are really great too and a large majority of this movie was done on a sound stage so that speaks to it as well but a, a fun fact before we really delve into all of this is the film was originally going to be released on november 25th but it was pushed back to December 4th so that way it could coincide with Krampusnacht. And it's a uh, traditional Austrian festival held on December 5th that celebrates the Krampus coming to punish the naughty children. They wanted to go ahead and coincide with, with the holiday. I thought that was a smart move because then you're really just leaning into to Krampus, <laughs> to what yeah. Krampus is about and, uh, and celebrating that. Our opening scene... Oh boy. <laughs> Our opening scene is absolute carnage. Uh, we got kids crying. We got some people fighting over gifts and other ones are getting trampled and, and tased. It's everything terrible about the holiday shopping season. And it yeah. exposes the absolute worst in people. <laughs> yep. It is not good. And it's a it, great way to frame the, the inherent problem that Krampus is setting out to solve it really does <laughs> yeah and it like it perfectly just mimics the the gruesome reality that we face on black friday shopping mm -hmm. and i feel like this this must have come out like not too long after those like black friday videos started to go mm -hmm. viral and so i feel like it was a, a really like a big play off of that too yeah. But I mean, it's, I think the best part is the tasing when, when the store <laughs> attendants are like, no, you unruly patrons, you need to just chill out and uh, really just gave them the business. Do you have any, any fun or terrifying holiday shopping stories? Uh, not really. I mean, the, the worst that I can say, and, and I definitely have become a little bit more, I like to get out in person and buy gifts for people mm -hmm. but it's it's been a little harder just because again malls and shopping centers are so inundated with people now that i i try to avoid it for that very reason mm -hmm. hate being stuck in traffic because everybody had the same idea exactly yeah like i've i i honestly avoid it like the plague i hate yeah. i hate going to the store on a regular basis yeah i will not do it during the holidays as much as possible i've also worked a black friday i feel like that mm -hmm. should be required of every single person so that way you can have an appreciation for the people that are working and i i was working at a bath and body works and luckily during my shift there was no one like tearing each other's hair out but uh there was it should be like jury duty there should be a draft for, right. for black friday work exactly yeah it just it was it was something it was something um but i have been like shopping around like midnight on thursday for when it's still thanksgiving mm -hmm. and uh yeah i i'm just like okay well this is like different i've experienced it i'm good mm -hmm. i really don't don't well, it's funny this year i don't think i've ever seen a year like this and i think the the pandemic kind of changed people's mindsets 
there really wasn't much of a Black Friday this year. Mm -hmm. Like it was kind of an ex a weird exception where the stores were open, the deals were there, and people were like, eh, collectively. Yeah. 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 That's what I heard too. I saw on like social media, it was a really poor showing, but yeah. it was hilarious when someone is like, Hmm, okay. I'm at target. And they like pull the price and they see the black Friday price mm -hmm. in quotations and the, the, the original price, they are the same. Oh there, yeah. There is yeah. And no I think that's some of it right there is, is yeah. People have kind of caught on that. Oh, What's really happening is they're they're raising the prices in uh, October so they can say it's on sale in November when it's really the same price as it was in September. Exactly. So, yeah, it's just it's hard financially for people at the holidays. And if they're really not going to get something that's truly an enticing deal, I just don't think people are going to go out. They're going to go on to to you know websites and do their shopping there instead because it's more convenient i'm guilty of that i'll admit yeah. it you know <laughs> but it's easier to share my wish list that way so the opening sequence was shot on location in a single day and it was a, at a department store in new zealand funnily enough mm. i think it's cool they actually did go to a real department store did yeah. use a real real environment instead of having to just create one uh, a question I have, because we have this like shopping mayhem, but we also have a recital taking place at like a mall. Uh, what did any of your recitals ever take place in a mall? <laughs> no, zero. <laughs> I think it was just a convenient shot. You know, the old two in one, you're going to yeah. get it all in one place. Mine was usually at a school. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's how they maintain that budget of theirs <laughs> that's right exactly smart shooting yeah and and the greatest part is the the son of our primary family the engel family gets into a fight and it of course is over the honor of old saint nick and his existence so right i i always do uh I think that's nice and by the way moving forward if anyone is listening with children who are still at the age uh, yeah. this is a trigger warning <laughs> this is a trigger <laughs> warning so let's go ahead now we're at the point where we've moved on from this fight breaking out at the recital in a mall to the house and we meet omi and this is where we had seen our cookies and desserts and all of that yeah. in the kitchen christmas uh the wonderful life is playing there on the tv so we meet Omi at the house and she tells Max about the true meaning of the holiday. Okay. <laughs> she says it's the true <laughs> spirit of giving and of sacrifice. Yeah. That is not ominous at all, which by the way, <laughs> Omi's name, O-M-I, that's the first three letters of ominous. I'm just saying. Uh, yeah, Omi, <laughs> just a heads up, means grandma in German. So, I know. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I know it does, but still also the yeah. coincidence. Fair point. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, we find her, she tells us a little bit about it. We start to get an okay interesting mm. kind of feeling what and an then, odd thing to say grandma yeah right and then things sort of take a turn from here and this is when that that stark contrast between like a classic holiday warm and fuzzy movie takes mm. to then become the doom and gloom of horror 
And so that's where this happens. And it's perfect timing because it's time for a dysfunctional family dynamic that comes into play when it's involving, you know, in-laws coming and extended family and all that kind of stuff. And then on top of that, just the regular typical trauma that occurs within your family. And this is where I am going to just try and make light of this situation, but also have a a little psychology review here. So this is what I like to call the trauma trifle. (laughs) Trauma trifle, it is, um, for anyone not familiar with trifle, it's in layered English dessert. And usually it's, it's stacked with like a sherry fortified wine soaked kind of like sponge finger or cake as the first layer. And then you have fruit and then you have another layer of that sponge. And then you've got some more fruit and then you've got custard or whipped cream on top and then almonds and cherries sprinkled at the very top to sort of, you know, finish it off. And so I like to be able to compare the trauma to the trifle. It's <laughs> so, got layers, I see. It does. Mm. So our first layer, that sherry fortified wine soaked sponge. So that's our primary family, the Ingalls. That's Tom, mm. Sarah, Beth, Max, and and Omi. She's she's there, you know. Yeah. She's supportive, but for the most part, this this family, at least the four the parents and the kids, they're pretty disconnected, it seems like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we can see that they've kind of grown apart as the years have passed, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and Tom, he's busy with business calls. Sarah, the mom, she's stressing out over her side of the family getting ready mm-hmm. to, to arrive. Beth, she's the typical teen, you know, a yep. little, little bit of sass. But for the most part, she just sort of wants to do her own thing. Yeah. And then Max. He's the youngest. He wants it to be yeah. like the days of old where it's all joyful and everyone's like, let's watch Charlie Brown Christmas and wrap gifts together kind of thing. Yeah. And that's not what's happening here. Yeah. And especially the conversation with him getting into the fight, they're just like, you can do it yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. He's uh, he's definitely the, the focal point for the viewer's empathy. I think we all mm-hmm. kind of want Christmas to go how Max wants and, uh, all too often it doesn't (laughs) ain't that the truth ain't that the truth (laughs) so then our second layer the fruit it's the past traumas such as personal differences and contrasting lifestyles you know all the fun stuff and we really do get that when the cousins arrive (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) what is your first like take away when we meet the cousins uh yeah just visually like you know that they're going to be framed as greatly antagonistic towards everyone and i and i think it it was a deliberate decision to have them show up to the 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 family that we're supposed to empathize more with to their home because Mm -hmm. it, it adds insult to injury with how um difficult they are because not only are they not being good family they're also not being good guests which is a fundamental part of the holiday season is you know the distinct responsibilities of guests and hosts to not step on each other's toes Mm -hmm. and that is thrown out the window here yeah Mm -hmm. very well put because yeah the the whole like okay we're gonna go and play by these rules just because we're staying in someone's house those are completely yeah dismantled those do not exist in this circumstance it's immediately they're insulting they're very just brash entitled yeah just not not uh everybody knows somebody like that 
<laughs> yeah, it, it, it was like there. It was a series of as obnoxious as they are, funny moments as well. It was pretty hilarious because like the house shakes when they arrive, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm and we're all you can tell immediately in that exact moment. Okay, it's probably not really shaking, but it's more so for us knowing there's right. this stampede of stubborn getting ready to walk into this house, mm-hmm. and uh, we have. We have David Kochner, who plays Champ Kind from Anchorman, also uh, is Packer in The Office. Hilarious. He plays the patriarch Howard and then his wife, Linda, their three kids, Stevie, Jordan, and Howie Jr. Uh, well, actually, there's four kids. We forget about the child actually out in the car, little baby uh, Chrissy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Funny how I actually forgot about her, too, and that's what happened <laughs> in the movie. Um but yeah, so we we have them arrive. They also bring their their dog Rosie, the bulldog, who's absolutely stinking adorable. Mm. And then we have an unexpected guest, James, mm. Aunt Dorothy, <laughs> who is blunt. She's a bit of an ass, and yeah. well, she's also sort of awesome. <laughs> I sort of do like her. I do like her in ways. And so then our third layer, another layer of our, our sherry fortified wine soak sponge comes into play. And that's Max's letter. Uh, oh, James, walk us through this just interaction for just a second with the yeah. letter and the cousins. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the perfect example of not minding other people's boundaries, beliefs, uh, personality types. It, it is, he's got this sweet letter mm-hmm. to Santa, something that any empathic human being seeing a child do would, would be, you know, that your heart would go out to him. Yeah. And they immediately, immediately bully and antagonize him publicly and ridicule mm-hmm. him during christmas uh for for that belief and 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 not just like verbally i mean it's it's full-on uh bullying like it's it's called a police level behavior taunting taunting to the extreme and then his sister is just like just sit there and take it yeah it's like no this is terrible i understand why he's like chucking a nobody's roll across in max's corner no yeah. even his dad's just like not really there i don't yeah i don't see him really talking to like howard at the time yeah. but he just sort of seems to be an onlooker to the situation yeah. yeah and oh my gosh did my insecurities get triggered from being bullied as a kid i mm. hated this moment i think yeah. anyone who has been in those situations has has probably found this scene just a little cringy yeah well, it's um, it's deliberate because the fantasy when you watch that is you want to punish them for it and uh spoiler alert <laughs> yes <laughs> kind of the yes. whole plot that's yeah. right that's right we'll get there too in a second but yeah i just i did want to mention i really do appreciate his his raw truthfulness and the, the innocence and the candidness that comes from that letter you know he's wishing for really like wholesome things that show he has some good intentions and just especially as we mentioned there was just bullying and taunting and mistreatment happening there was also this really visceral moment of realization i think for that whole family Mm -hmm. of oh my god like this kid this is how he's seeing it this is how we're being perceived right yeah oh no yeah yeah, yeah. It, it, there's a, a wonderful expression in in spanish um 
children and lunatics tell the truth. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he he's like a mirror for them. And they mm -hmm. see the things that they're not too pleased with. And, and that's a huge reason why they're so antagonistic is, you know, he's innocent enough to show them that they're, they're not particularly <laughs> great people. Yeah, exactly. So I I really appreciated his letter. And even the the Aunt Dorothy, who's just sort of a gruff personality, mm -hmm. she goes, the kid deserves a prize for being truthful, <laughs> you know? And I was like, okay, I respect her. Like, this is where my opinion started to turn about her because mm -hmm. I was like, God, she's a, just a jerk. Oh, wait, no. Okay, she just, it's, I think, her own defense mechanisms and yeah. just sort of how she has become over time and through life you know and well that so was something they did really well was mm -hmm. um when when i initially started watching this film several years ago i immediately rolled my eyes because i thought well they're just going to be too two-dimensional and this is not going to be it's just going to be like hostile christmas version yeah but they're they're not two-dimensional mm -hmm. like they're they're all even the worst of them are on some level relatable and yeah. they did a really good job with that for making you feel for them they really did. You know, there's a lot of depth to the characters. Typically with horror movies, I think it's very easy to see that a lot of the characters are just blanket. They're there to be killed off. Right. And in this circumstance, no, this is actually a group of people that, like you said, there's a relatable uh, characteristic or, or some kind of situation that you can associate with. And so yeah. it makes you feel a little more for this family when it comes to seeing the horror that is about <laughs> to come upon them oh my gosh and that that's where the 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 fourth layer the fruit you know max wish comes into play and things start to become just complete havoc he he in this moment he wishes and this is when the catalyst of our story really begins and a storm is a brewing both metaphorically and physically <laughs> There is a blizzard mm. that just completely ravages their neighborhood. And it sounds like they're really the only people who are still there on the block. Um, the the girl, Beth, her boyfriend is, it sounds like he is there. He lives like four blocks away. But outside of that, they start listing off families that aren't there. Right. And so when we get to the conversation about the ending of our story, I think that's very interesting we're not there yeah. yet but <laughs> but i found this very interesting so yeah uh per imdb little fun fact for you the early shots of the other houses in the neighborhood they're all digitally added in and they were made to look like the designs from famous houses from the 80s movies oh. so sort of a little nod to the past that's really cool yeah hmm. And uh, this, this storm, oh my goodness, it is terrible. It is terrible. It's mentioned that it's, you know, hard to see across the street. And mm. so, you know, when Beth is like, hey, can I go see my boyfriend? The fact <laughs> that no one offered to give this girl a ride to mm. her boyfriend's house, even if he's only four blocks away. Right. What the heck, man? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Again, the, the underlying theme of this movie i think is selfishness versus altruism mm -hmm. and the only altruistic character is is the mc yeah yeah and so you know we we do have like the funny moment of dhl delivering <laughs> during the <this> storm <laughs> and i'm i'm just sitting there going 
is there a motto or should it be we deliver even in a blizzard you know like that's a perfect opportunity well then we get to our fourth layer of our our trauma trifle which is the the custard and the whipped cream we're almost there we're almost done with this trifle we're topping it off now and that's the storm there is a physical discomfort due to the cold temperatures but there's also this physical discomfort that happens involving this family now being stuck inside the house together yeah yeah it's a wonderful um side-by-side comparison i can't think of the best word for that of uh you know because christmas is supposed to be about togetherness and here comes this isolating component dichotomy mm-hmm. that's the word i was looking yeah. for yeah definitely it's, it's, it's a great dichotomy dichotomy to the the situation and yeah so it's and you you can just tell how different they are by the comments about the mac and cheese and hot dogs mm-hmm. uh little biting biting mentions here and there of of lifestyles and yeah. so you know that it's just gonna be uncomfortable for everybody and then like the power starts to go out mm. and things start to happen where you're like okay this is not a good situation yeah yeah everybody gets along when the wi-fi is available and you can stare at your phone (laughs) exactly yeah so then our our sixth and our last layer of our trauma trifle is our almonds and cherries and that's when beth disappears into the storm to go to her boyfriend's house and she doesn't seem to make it too far when things start to get a bit creepy Mm. and she is just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to some pretty terrible stuff about to happen and this is where we meet our big bad krampus we have our first spotting of krampus and he is on a rooftop and he's chasing beth before she meets her fate which the fact that they offed the sister first was really surprising to me yeah what is your first takeaway involving Krampus? Um, yeah, that to me was really jarring. Um, and I think that was a really good decision on their part because initially, you know, I mentioned there's kind of a fantasy wish fulfillment element to this. It feels like a revenge fantasy. But then when she's like the first casualty, you're like, oh, oh, this is this is going to be a lot darker mm-hmm. a ride than than what I was expecting. Yeah, this is not going to be purely karmic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and the, the look of Krampus, you know, you really don't know what he is. He's very shadowed and, and sort of there's, there's that hood that veils his face. So you can't really see him. My, my first thought when I saw him was, I was like, oh, he sort of looks a little bit like a bison in a, in a, mm. in a cloak you know right <laughs> sort of what i thought then we find out no he's not really adorable his his face is pretty <laughs> ugly <laughs> right you know which would be so cute if it was this little like bison and then he's just like sharp teeth but no it just he <laughs> his face is like so i remember reading when i was doing the research for this that it's supposed to look like krampus is wearing a mask and that's why mm-hmm. like his his mouth is sort of constantly just open and agape and so uh, it's this mask. So you're not really even seeing like who Krampus really is. Right. Just yeah. sort of this haunting like shadow of, of old St. Nick. I love that they gave him rectangular pupils like a goat, which, mm-hmm. you know, Krampus and goats, there's, there's 
definitely an enormous overlap there. Yes, which this actually leads us to our conversation about the history and lore of Krampus. Tell us a uh, bit more about Krampus, James. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. The oldest records we really have of Krampus is Styria, which is part of uh, Hungary and uh, Austria. And uh, it's one of those traditions that we don't have a lot of written evidence from. Most of the written evidence we have is like seventh century and that's post-Christianity. But Krampus is definitely older than that. Krampus mm -hmm. definitely is a syncretism of pre-Christian pagan, in other words, traditions. And uh, just this is me speculating, but uh, in Scandinavia and Germany, in, in all those countries, um, one of the most common symbols of Christmas is not Santa Claus, but the Yulebach, mm -hmm. which is the Yule goat. Well, there's a huge connection between goats and Christmas in these countries for that reason. And that all goes back to Thor. Uh, Thor had two goats uh, that drove his chariot around, uh, Tengrisnir and Tengnostir, which the whole thing's like a big, complicated metaphor for reincarnation because the pagans believed in reincarnation. The whole, everybody dies and goes to either hell or Valhalla is a modern uh, take on that. Mm -hmm. But Krampus sort of represents the more, because uh, the Yule Goat gives kids presents, Krampus is more the, uh, well, if you're bad, another goat entirely is, is going to, you know, ruin your Yuletide season. So Krampus is sort of originally that kind of concept, hence the goat-like qualities. Well, when Christianity came along and started blending with that tradition, well, goats have a very different role in christianity they are seen as uh well there's the parable of the the lambs and the goats where the lambs are blessed and the goats are damned and as a result goats have a satanic uh connotation to them which is why you literally like you know look at baphomet the goat-headed pentagram associated with satanism and and black magic and the left-hand path and and all that and so krampus as a result kind of started taking on a much more sinister demonic uh quality and through them out the middle ages these uh children associated feast days like saint nicholas they they he sort of became this jungian shadow of santa claus mm -hmm. you know like good kids get rewarded by saint nicholas bad kids get punished by his shadow, which is, you know, again, you've got a saint on one side and you've got a satanic symbol on the other. Mm -hmm. So you've got this anthropomorphic goat, which we see similar things with Pan, the the nature god in uh, uh, Greco-Roman tradition. And what does typ typically Krampus get depicted looking like? Because I know there's several different sure. versions of him. It he's, like. all, he's pretty much always... You know, again, post-Christian, we don't we, we have very few sources from the the pre-Christian period on what he looked like. Um, in fact, he was probably actually just the Yulebach, you know, punishing and instead of rewarding. Mm -hmm. But um, he's almost always depicted as a fanged tongue lolling out, which that's something Billy goats do when they're in heat; they, they loll their tongue out, and it's very rude looking. Um, <laughs> fanged tongue lolling out sinister humanoid goat with you know the feet of of a goat and hooves uh and horns jutting out from his head um you know again like, like think about a werewolf but a goat instead of a wolf that's kind of what he looks like yeah sort of like a, like a satyr like a, Greek a satyr yeah well mm -hmm. that's that's exactly what pan is um which again that's a different belief structure different area but huge physical overlap yeah and so 
like you know we, we you sort of mentioned a little bit about like the purpose and, and relevance of Krampus in in Europe involving you know the folk tales and, and stuff like that and I just I think it's just so interesting to I saw something online where it was like you know Krampus comes to town you know the night before Saint Nicholas Day mm-hmm. and and that's Krampusnacht Yep. And uh, the legend has it that, like, you know, if if he comes to your house, you are coming to get swatted, and he's coming <laughs> at them wicked kids. And uh, you know, the whole thing is, um, you know, unfortunately, these 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 naughty wicked children would be put into a sack and taken to to the depths of hell. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it actually reminds me a lot. And and again, it's funny because it's often mistranslated as demon. Um, what I'm about to describe, there's a festival in Japan, uh, and again, this is a pagan tradition as well, mm-hmm. where bad children are threatened to be uh, basically taken away by these mm-hmm. ogres called oni, which is almost always like if you ask people to translate oni uh, to English, it's rarely translated as ogre. It's usually translated as demon, mm-hmm. but it's a way to keep the kids in line. These oni will show up. It's usually some guy in a big tiger loincloth and a, a fake horn on their head or a mask, and they're threatening to take the kids away. And the parents beg, like, no, no, this is a good kid. And then the oni, you know, again, he knows the parents. He's like, well, what about the time they did this? What about mm-hmm. the... And now the kid's terrified. Um, and so, like, you see this in a lot of pre-Christian traditions, this idea of a supernatural dark force showing up to punish children who aren't really doing what they're supposed to be doing. And it makes a lot of sense when you look at those those pre-Christian civilizations, because if you weren't a good citizen in your community and you didn't grow up to be a good citizen, you really put the whole community at risk. It was mm-hmm. one of those things where everybody kind of had to function like clockwork. And if somebody wasn't doing what they needed to do... Usually that person, if they were an adult, would eventually either be exiled or executed because they're not pulling their weight. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> so you got to get that kid to, to behave early. Yeah. It's, the, it's them. The policing at a young age with yeah. uh, Oni and, and, and other terrible things like Krampus. <laughs> well, apparently Krampus was banned in Austria uh, per usc.edu. Anyone caught dressing up as Krampus faced the death penalty because it was perceived as a devil figure. Interestingly uh, enough, though, the Nazis also banned Krampus for its yeah, pagan funny, origins. Funny enough, the people <laughs> who banned it in Austria, uh, they weren't Nazis per se, but they were like this hyper-conservative Christian party that pretty much came into being to keep Catholics out of Germany. So mm. kind of the same MO, really. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, besides that, more recently, there's just been some concerns that have been expressed involving mm. uh, whether the tradition's really appropriate for kids or not. Uh, in austria i get it because they've got things like the the krampus run the uh, the krampuslauf and mm-hmm. it's where men dress up like krampuses krampi krampuses mm-hmm. um the krampuses and they 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 go through the streets of the city like a big old parade yeah and they scare the kids and it's like what is this why is this <laughs> acceptable <laughs> yeah yeah and <laughs> some kids. of the the masks and things i mean they yeah. really are incredibly sinister Yes, and and we will put on our Facebook page a link to a video from the parade Mm. because they have some videos up on YouTube. So we will include that after this episode drops. Well, apparently, uh, have you heard of Rick Steves? 
the the travel guy he's, oh, he's yeah, big yeah. on pbs my yeah. dad loves watching anytime i'm down there he's like rick steve's on he gets real excited and <laughs> i'm like okay dad <laughs> i'm glad you like it uh so you know he's big old travel host on pbs and he actually asked about this on his his forum and uh, mm-hmm. someone was kind enough to, to drop a link for the dates that were coming up for the locations and, and whatnot. And uh, those also will be included in the show notes. And so, just in case if you are in Germany, you would like to go because Germany is our, our second biggest listening country. Mm-hmm. So thank you to my, my friends in Germany for listening. The videos, they're, they're posted up there. They're very interesting to watch. They are things of nightmares for little children. Mm-hmm. But uh, I also would like to experience it, I think, <laughs> just <laughs> once. And then it'll be every year, but I'd like, I'd like to experience once. So how about Krampus in the movie? We know a little bit, just really, we scratched the surface of Krampus. Uh, I feel like give it just enough information to where people have an idea. But there's still a lot more you could read about him. And so in the movie, the director, Michael Darty, he describes Krampus as Santa Claus's shadow, like you mentioned. Ah. And uh, he says, in quotes, he's not the unstoppable monster that kicks down your door and rampages and grabs you. There's something darkly playful about him. He's having a good time doing what he does. And he enjoys mm. the cat and mouse aspect of the game. And it's just like, cat and mouse, no. <laughs> oh, no. He likes torture. Uh, and so, yeah, the, the film's Krampus, he was initially designed to have that that shadowed sort of cowled face and it more so resembles death than Mm. than anything it said here on imdb um that he's wearing a mask and it's it's not the performer but krampus himself so the actor that was acting on him you know it wasn't just a mask for him but it's also a mask for the the character itself oh yeah interesting yeah Mm. Now, moving on to, to Krampus's little minions. Ah, uh, yeah. Oh, he's got a bunch of them. You know, you mentioned Yule Goat, which is more of Scandinavia. Um, yeah. But we also have the Yule Lads, which are the pals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They are, they're definitely based off of, and again, this goes back to, to the pagan mythology. Um, elves are assistances, assistances, assistance <laughs> to Santa Claus. And they are often portrayed in uh, in pagan tradition as the spirits of ancestors. And so they have this positive connotation. But there's also the Dark Elves from Svartalfheim. And uh, they are much more mischievous, possibly sinister in nature. And Krampus's elves are definitely inspired by the Dark Elves. Mm. And just a weird, fun fact, I don't know which one of them is portrayed by him, but one of those Dark Elves is uh, Seth Green. Oh, it's one of the gingerbread men. Ah, okay. And and that's that's the other thing is they they all like there's the clown and there's the the little winged creatures. They're Mm -hmm. all kind of like satire or parody of uh or shadows of traditional Christmas things, you know, jack and boxes and clowns and angels that you would top a tree with, and you've got these flying things. Mm -hmm. And uh they're all just they're, they're just subversions of things that we positively associate with Christmas. Yes. Yeah. So let's, let's talk a little bit about them. So, you know, when Howard and Tom, they go out looking for Beth, they're like, Oh, the storm's real bad. She's still not back from the boyfriends. Uh Oh, you know, so they go ahead and they try and find her. And that's our first glance at, 
okay, from their eyes, we know something isn't right. We already knew that as an audience from Beth's point of view, but now we know this it's the news is going to get to everybody else at this point. And we, we see that there has been a gingerbread man that's been impaled to the refrigerator. Mm. And we're like, what the heck is going on here? That's not just decoration. That is not a refrigerator (laughs) ornament. What is this? And so they, they end up making an appearance, the gingerbread men, we end up having the gingerbread men back at the angle house for an appearance as well and so imagine james if you would you're sitting in your living room and down your chimney comes a chain with a (laughs) delicious looking gingerbread man hanging from it would you have any pause at all or be just gung-ho to get that cookie i uh i'm pretty sure my appetite would be a lot weaker than my uh, fear (laughs) of being murdered so yeah 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 but if there was a cookie to tempt you what kind of cookie would it be uh yeah uh i really love speculus which i also associate with christmas it's like a danish cookie it's cinnamon vanilla and it's oh it's really good they're usually shaped like windmills oh well that's cool Mm. i mean this is a hard decision. I really didn't think much in depth about this. I asked the question for you and I didn't really think about it for me. Um, I really do like, I had these recently. I don't know what they're called. They're sort of shaped similarly to like Madeline's uh, where they're a little bit of a shell kind of shape. They're a little softer like a Madeline, but they have a, a jam in the middle, like a, like a raspberry jam. And then it's partially dipped into like a chocolate ganache. Ah, interesting. And it was so good. I got them at fresh market and nice. I was just like, Oh man. And so, yeah, that more recently, it's just like a, just a sweet little sandwich. It was delicious. <laughs> so that one, that one might make me be curious as to what's going on. <laughs> but yeah, I, I would not be uh, just, just running at that cookie off that chain uh, though. Howie jr. He took the bait because he is a little Augustus gloop type and bloop. <laughs> there he went. <laughs> yep. It, it, it almost reminds me of a really dark version of uh, that SpongeBob episode where SpongeBob and Patrick play hooky. They like oh, ride yeah. the hooks and it's like, yeah. you should kind of know this is not a good idea. Yeah. Oh, Gary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just, oh no. <laughs> yeah. So it that, that 100% is it. And we do see that a bit where Tony Collette's character this was sort of her training for heredity. <laughs> Hereditary. <laughs> I feel like she she does a great job just looking terrified as what she's seeing up that chimney. Yeah. <laughs> and so then we have the whole little gang of gingerbread men arrive on the scene. And the sequence with Howard and the gingerbread men is absolutely hilarious. Mm. Uh, definitely one of my favorites. And you mentioned Die Hard earlier. This is a very uh. like bring in Die Hard-esque kind of vibes to the story. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely love it. Okay, so out of all of Krampus's creature friends, which one would you want to die the least amount at the uh. hands of? <laughs> You know, funny enough, on the 13th floor, we talked about the Yule Lads, and that's from Icelandic folklore. And you've got Grilla, the mother, who's an ogress who eats children who are bad, and her husband, Lepaldi, and the Yule Cat, their pet, who also is scary. But they have 13 kids who are these prankster creatures, uh, and they're called the Yule Lads, and they're awful to kids who misbehave. Mm -hmm. Well, the elves in question are kind of themed or at least named after them and Stekjarstar 
is easily the spookiest of the bunch and the, the one that scares me the most. Uh, Stachyar Star kind of resembles Krampus. He's got this wooden face, this hook nose, these horns, yeah. and a wooden tongue that kind of hangs out of his mouth. And he just, out of all of them, he's the one that I find the most intimidating. Um, but, I mean, they're all pretty dang spooky. Yeah. Out of the ones that I saw in the movie, I think De Clown. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, it's funny. Least. I have coulrophobia, but I'm still more scared by Sticky Star. Interesting. Yeah, I just the sharp teeth, the vacant mm. expression, it's haunting. Yeah, <laughs> just absolutely. a lot about it. And you, you've got other creatures like Perchetto, which is the the take on the the topper angel of the tree. Yeah. Very creepy, weird thing going on with the tongue. Uh TikTok, who's more of a kind of like little robotic monster mm -hmm. uh teddy clow who is a demonic teddy bear yeah and uh and so on there's a there's a long list of little villains that you could talk about when it comes to our monster gang yeah. that i wouldn't want to die at the hands of <laughs> so speaking of dying when it comes to the snowmen do you think those uh, were the victims that were taken? I do think that was the symbolism intended. Because, yeah, every time uh, somebody dies, whether it's on or off screen, we see a new snowman turn up. So I think that is kind of like the whole logic of it. I don't know if like the body's in the snowman or mm -hmm. if it's just representative or what, but there's a yeah. connection. I think so, too, because one of the characters in particular I'm thinking of, as soon as Howard goes out the door... He sees this little snowman and it looks very, very similar to another little character. Yeah. So it made me question and have the thought of, is this possibly a, um, either the character itself or a symbol for that character that has yeah. fallen kind of yeah. thing. There's a part that happens as we're gearing up to be introduced to some of our other villains that we've just mentioned. And there's this thumping that's going on upstairs and they do not investigate it. In fact, they're like, oh, it's just squirrels. Yeah, that's what How I would big think are these effing squirrels yeah. that you're like, it's fine. No, <laughs> no, you need to go in and figure out. You've got children in the house. Right. Come on, you know, so... Earlier in the movie, though, when they went to search for Beth, they meet the snow beast, which uh, it, it makes me think very similarly of like the gobbler from Love and Monsters or the Graboids from Trump. Uh, Immediately is my first thought. And, you know, Howard, he ends up getting attacked. And luckily he escapes. He scaped, but he has escaped. And uh, at this point, you know, they're, they're sitting there like, okay, we probably should get some rest. But why are we putting the man that just got attacked by the snow gobbler in charge of the first watch? Right. To, to keep an eye on everybody. Are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> I know you're a macho dude, but toxic masculinity can die. <laughs> and you can go ahead and be vulnerable for a minute. Be like, my leg just got torn up. I was right. almost a snack help you know it's okay so yeah the unfortunately this macho dude he just lives lives on and is like i'll protect the sheep i'm a shepherd <clears throat> shepherd sit down you got a jacked up leg uh mm -hmm. also a, a question so we're, we we get this one part this is a live action film but we do get an animated sequence mm -hmm. when omi is telling the story of how she knows of krampus uh, right 
And okay, why, why have we this whole time been translating for Omi? When she can speak English, I think it's uh, cool that she's like talking Austrian and stuff. But the kid who is delivering the lines, who plays Max, it's so just deadpan yeah, and emotionless. I, I agree. Yeah, that was like, that was probably out of every decision they made. That was kind of the one where it's like somebody should have run that by him and said, uh. Yeah, that was the weakest part, I think, of yeah. anyone's performance. It was just so lifeless. Mm. And he's like well, it just matters what's in here. And it's like, mm. that is so just blank. It's, yeah. come on, there's no feeling to it. But yeah, and then the and then there's like the part where <laughs> she she says something and Aunt Dorothy's like, oh, we're effed. And they're like, well, how do you know that's what she meant? And, and, and she's like, because you get to a certain point in life where you just know, <laughs> you right. know, when life's coming at you with the pants <laughs> down. I'm like, dang it, Dorothy. <laughs> these are kids doesn't matter but and then and then omi's like yeah mm. <laughs> i thought that was like just a really nice nod because i did see a review by amanda the jedi and i really do like her reviews i sent you the one for this one in particular uh, yeah i think she does a fantastic job totally agree yeah thank you for introducing me to her because yeah, yeah she's, she's got good stuff she does. She does. But here's the thing. She said they really, in her opinion, do not do a good job with the humor and the horror. Uh, and I think, honestly, they did for yeah. the most part. I thought it was really well balanced for the most part. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The alternation between. Yeah. I mean, it was I, I would call this. I, it, it is a horror film, but I would call yes. it more a dark comedy than a yes. horror Mm -hmm. 100% my opinion as well is dark comedy um yeah it it just for me I thought that those those funny moments though there's like the perfect break that it needed to be given a good majority of the time yeah. I thought they were put in the right places you have really talented seasoned veteran actors who are delivering those lines I mean, you know, David Kochner. So, so it was just like, that. It, for me, it hit right. It hit mm -hmm. the spots it needed to, and it did a decent job of that. So that's where I, I maybe would want to have a further discussion with her involving that, because I'm just like, wait, please explain to me further mm -hmm. why maybe it didn't hit right for you, but it, it definitely did for me. Um, you know, so now here's here's something interesting that didn't really hit right for me. And it's a very minor, minuscule thing. And people are probably just like, Callie, you're just being picky. No, I look, I need, I need to just talk about this for a second. <laughs> so I'm doing a little research about this movie, right? And per fandom and also other places, Rosie the dog is played by a dog named Thor. Huh. Interesting. Okay. okay. Right. Well, Thor is a male dog, but the female is the or the character is a female mm. okay so the there's an issue involving from what i read the build of a male versus a female bulldog okay it's very different <laughs> in certain ways besides for their bits you know you, you like just the sure. the actual like weight and height and the and you know the the actual physical They're a little structure. bit dimorphic i see yeah so why didn't we just change the dog's gender yeah that is kind of weird i have no idea why they wouldn't do that yeah yeah like why why wasn't rosie a rudy 
Yeah. You know, or a Ross or a Ricky. Ricky, mm. I feel like would be real appropriate for this yeah. family. <laughs> you know, a uh, little Ricky Bobby. But yeah, so it's just like, why why did we not change that? You know, but mm. it's not a big thing in the scheme of sure. the situation. But I'm just like, why? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, that is kind of peculiar. Hmm. Honestly, I'd love a little Rudy running around. That'd be adorable. Yeah. Rudy, Rudy, come here, Rudy. That'd be <laughs> hilarious. Uh, it would also make me think of Sean Astin as Rudy in the football movie. Uh-huh. Um, so just nice little things. Well, then we get to the the end of our movie and the presents that are received. Taxidermy. Mm. <laughs> Taxidermy and press box. <laughs> what a family, family gift presents that are just super interesting here. Um fascinating so what is like the worst christmas present you have received or you could imagine receiving Um, i won't name names but i i have some some relatives who uh remind me an awful lot actually of the uh the family in krampus and uh it's the most narcissistic thing ever is for years they would give gifts that were monogrammed with their name like to people who don't have their name like it was what? it was like yeah it was almost like like it's like is this supposed to be a souvenir because you're so great like why did you give me a tumbler with your initials on it why did you give my sibling a coaster with your initials on it? like it's the weirdest crap what yeah. this makes no sense it's ridiculous yeah have you ever asked them why they do this no and, and thankfully i don't have to interact with them anymore so that's okay. a good thing yeah <laughs> that what? it's almost a microcosm for their view of the the universe and and their place in it oh good god yeah narcissistic is a great word that's a great yeah. word for it um so besides getting their names monogram what's a present that would be worse than that oh man imagine getting yeah yeah you have gotten not much worse frankly um yeah i don't know i've occasionally also gotten gifts of uh clothing with sports teams that i have no interest in and it's like oh okay yeah thanks i'm not a packers fan but appreciate the hoodie that now everybody's gonna (laughs) ask me how they're playing yeah (laughs) yeah that's really good. Yeah, I mean, like, I really, when I was sitting here trying to think about it, nothing came to mind for me. Like, mm. honestly, when it came to gifts and stuff, my parents did a pretty great job. They took care mm. of us. They did us That's right. Good. You know, if I was like, I want to play the piano. Okay. They got me a keyboard for that, mm. that Christmas, you know, nice. if I said, I want to play the guitar. Okay. If I want to do art, they got me arts. Like they, mm. they would be very tentative to our our wants Hmm. and i was very privileged to grow up with you know the family i did my dad worked very hard he worked three jobs Hmm. at one point to make sure we could live in a a good safe neighborhood kind of thing you know and my mom was very much so i think taking a mental list uh you know constantly of this stuff but um like there was like a year where i got these sort of ceramic dolls and they stood on little like you know stands uh, and spooky. that yeah the like the that what is it called the valley the uncanny valley yeah. uncanny i was gonna say happy valley and i knew that wasn't it that's a show uh yeah. the uncanny valley kind of thing sort of could be creepy but yeah. they were they were really pretty dolls though if you looked mm. at them or maybe figurines might be better they were doll size mm. but like figurines they were very pretty and delicate kind of looking and i was very much so a tomboy but i really mm did like the the look of the dolls though mm. 
so but really i mean i couldn't think of anything in terms of something i've really received that's sticking out so there was nothing that's super scarring Mm -hmm. but if i had to imagine what's a what's a gift that if i were to receive it i would just be repulsed and I'm thinking toilet wand. Why are you giving me a toilet wand? Yeah, that's Christmas a weird time? one. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why a toilet wand came to mind, but I was just like, someone ever gave me, like, actually, if someone gave me a plunger hmm. or like a step stool, 100% totally fine with it. You sure. know, you can never have too many plungers. That's, that's an item that will always come in good use. Mm-hmm. Um, step stool i actually don't have one and i need one so mm-hmm. if any of my friends are listening and would like to get me a step stool mm-hmm. i would be very happy with that present um but a toilet wand yeah. <laughs> i just i don't know urinal cakes toilet wands just <laughs> not things i really would want to have yeah but i do like practical gifts so if someone's like here's some oil for your car awesome cool great. I don't change my own oil, but I can bring it with me when I go to Valvoline. (laughs) And that's one less thing I got to buy. So yeah. So just, I thought that would be an interesting, an interesting conversation to have. Another interesting conversation we can have is what do you think really happened at the end? And here's a spoiler alert, spoiler Mm. alert, spoiler alert. You do not want to know what happens at the ending. Please, please go ahead and just skip forward i'll have the times of when the spoiler occurred in the show notes Hmm. i will let you know when we are done okay so james what do you think happened at the ending there uh yeah i mean you know max gets tested he's the one who made this wish to begin with he passes the test everybody wakes up they have they they know after he gets that little bauble um what happened and it brings them all closer and they kind of learn their lesson um, but I don't think that they're permanently like in the snow globe or anything. I think mm-hmm. what's more likely is that's how it's, it's almost like a vampire. You let them in and they can, they can come and go as they want. Mm-hmm. Krampus is now keeping tabs on them. And now they gotta, you know, unlike families that haven't been punished before, now they gotta stick with it. They gotta stay in line because he knows where they live. He's got a little miniature version of the, where they live. And if they, they mess up, he's, he's coming back. And not just yeah. for pretend this time. Right. He going he to get them. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's one of those things where, so I, when I was doing the research and I found out about Thor, the dog, mm-hmm. uh, this is where I, I started to question things and why I wanted to ask this question. Mm-hmm. So it says that um, when I'm looking for Rosie, I stumbled upon the information where I had a description on fandom. And it says she was shown with everyone else alive, whether being condemned for eternity in the snow globe or Krampus watching over them to give them another chance. Uh, Yeah. See, I I think the latter is more likely, but that is a very dismal prospect that, that they're just stuck now in this snow globe world. Yeah. I mean, I think honestly, so I, I had gotten, I had forgotten about what happened initially toward the end because I had seen this movie a couple of years ago. Sure. So I went to rewatch this and I was like, wait, they have sort of like a false ending, right? Like it's not supposed to be happy, go lucky, like Christmas for everyone. But then like he wakes up and it seems like it was all a dream. And I got like angry. I was like, what? I thought it wasn't supposed to be this way. And it wasn't that (laughs) way because they did take the turn. And 
I, I honestly think it would be terrifying if they had to do like a kind of groundhog day from icy hell situation. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, that's, that's in some ways worse than just being in literal hell and burning. Mm-hmm. Like what, yeah. like what we think happens before a kid wakes up. Exactly. And so it's like, you know, I, I, I do like the idea that also the sinister Santa is keeping watch and, you know, it plays more into that. Like he knows when you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. Right. It has a whole like creepy. I wear my sunglasses at night soccer vibe. <laughs> and that gives a whole new meaning to the, the song Santa Claus is coming to town. You know, I, I think that that just really plays heavily into this is just weird don't like it gives me the creeps kind of feeling but yeah i think overall i went back and forth on it and yeah i i think it's it's more so like krampus and the and the stories of krampus is a cautionary tale right yeah you know so i think that's just that final punch of like behave yourselves don't be doing bad things watch yourselves maybe you need to take a look in the mirror realize what you're really up to here right so now let's that we've talked about that the spoiler we can say that's concluded at this point we're done um and once again i will have that in the show notes as to when that started and ended so let's talk a little bit about krampus and pop culture there are about like 12 krampus movies that i could find uh yeah they made a bunch since then yeah, I, crazy. I, feel, I feel like Krampus has become bigger over the last like five to seven years, mm. you know, in the United States. I feel like he oh, yeah. started to boom a bit. The Den of Geeks, they have a, a list with some really nice descriptions of the different Krampus movies that are, are out there. So I'm including a little link there in the show notes as well, if you'd like to check that out. We did mention also the Gingerbread Men, how one of them was was voiced by Seth Green. The other one was done by Justin Roiland. Mm-hmm. And uh, they remind me sort of, of of the Gingerbread Man from Shrek. I can see that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was sort of waiting for like the not my gumdrop buttons i was waiting for that to happen uh did not obviously (laughs) it was much more sinister than that um but yeah this this is just one of many invasion christmas movies you know we mentioned home alone i mentioned black christmas there was one uh with david harbour called violent night that came out not too long ago um die hard if you believe that Die Hard is a Christmas movie, this is yeah. definitely a, it's more of a business invasion, not a home <laughs> invasion, but very similar. So overall though, this movie, I feel like it was fairly decently received when it comes to the public. Well, it had a budget of 15 million. The box office came in at 61.5 million. So they did make their money back, mm. which is Doubled great. it really if you count their marketing budget. yes exactly and uh, the imdb rating was 6.2 out of 10 66 percent on rotten tomatoes three out of five on common sense and then 69 percent of google users like the movie and it was nominated for 14 awards and won five so not Mm. too bad but while it's nice that they won the awards before those awards they don't mean anything like our award (laughs) does our Oscar Mayer Wiener Award. 
James, who is your Oscar Mayer Wiener Award, or should I say, who or what is your Oscar Mayer Wiener Award going to? It had such unique aesthetics, the, the different monsters, especially the, the dark elf characters, um, that I, I got to give it to Weta FX for, for mm -hmm. the character design. That was fantastic. Yeah, that actually is my, my honorable mention, the art uh, department, the effects. They were great. I really yeah. think they did an excellent job. Graphics were fantastic. Uh, mine is going to go to uh, Conchata Farrell, who plays Aunt Dorothy. <laughs> she just does a great job delivering her lines. She she does a fantastic job with just playing the role. I mean, she's so believable. And, you know, I also wanted to give it to her because she passed away in 2020. So I uh... thought it would be nice to give her just a shout out for that. And, and she was in a lot of things she was in mystic pizza and the mask in 132 other things mm. so she had a very long credit list so i uh i i definitely agree with you i'm glad that you picked what my honorable mention was um because i wanted to go with conchata farrell well let's go ahead now into our sweet endings As we're wrapping up our, our show here, I always like to end it with one of our favorite sayings or quotes from the movie. James, who is your quote from and what is it? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> honestly, I, I think this is horrible, but <laughs> I think my favorite dialogue is actually because it was like for me, the jarring moment where I was like, oh, this is not what I signed up for, mm -hmm. is actually when the sister gets attacked and it's literally just the screams yeah. <laughs> that she produces. So <laughs> literally like open quotes, ah, close yeah. quotes. <laughs> Beth, open quotes, ah. Uh, yeah, she, that actress did a fantastic did. job. Yeah. Oh my gosh. this The, the screaming was, it was jarring. It was terrifying you know it's yeah. just like she she has that locked down yeah. i'm not sure if she's been in a lot of other horror movies but yeah, people hire her hire her go. she's yeah. got a great screen <laughs> <laughs> that sounds weird um <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. uh so my quote is from howard i think it's a it's a very obvious one <laughs> but it's just a fun one when so the the rest of the adults are coming down from upstairs where they just sort of had to face off with the clown and mm. the other characters. And uh, he says, honey, I just got my ass kicked by a bunch of Christmas cookies. So trust me when I say I can take it. I loved that. that line. <laughs> it was so good. So I, I definitely, um, I just, I enjoyed this movie as a yeah. whole overall. If you had to rate this, what would you rate it as? Ah, in its own category, like seven and a half. Okay, seven out of seven and a half out of ten. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. For yeah, what it I is, would... which is a dark Christmas comedy. Yeah, I I would say uh, a seven and a half to an eight mm -hmm. if you're looking at it in like a horror dark comedy yeah. kind of setting. If you're looking at it overall as a piece of work itself, I may say a seven. Mm -hmm. Um. Because I, I do think it 
it has all those great tropes. There's a lot of really great, like I said, mythos a while ago. Mm -hmm. And um, there, there's a lot of fun that can be had in this movie. I think it, it stands up well, you know, even though it was back a few years ago, uh, what, 2015, yep. um, it's, it still stands up really well. Agreed. Hmm. So it, once again, big applause to the graphics and, and art department folks, because man, it, it looks great. It looks yeah. great. Wet so, is always bets a thousand, but yeah, they really did a great job. Well, is there anything else that you would like to add about this movie? Be Any good. Of, be good. There you go. That's a good one. Be good. <laughs> yeah, because you never know. Krampus may come for a visit. Mm -hmm. So one more time, just to let everyone know, you can listen to some some previously recorded episodes that James has been on on the 13th Floor podcast. You can find that on Apple, Spotify, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Also, you guys do have a Patreon, and yep. you can see some exclusive videos there, some fun stuff. They try and stump you because you know a lot of things. You're the walking Wikipedia, yeah, as I like to call you. That's a big you. part of our, our <laughs> Patreon stuff. Thanks. Yes, yes. So you can check them out on uh, YouTube for Patreon. And also you were on One More Thing Before You Go yep. and also Hillbilly Horror Stories. That's right. So you can check James out in all of those places. And for us, we're happy that you've, you've joined us for this episode. We hope that you have some merry holidays here. If you're needing to escape the relatives, just tell them you got to go to the bathroom and listen to our podcast. Right? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know? Just make up an excuse and escape for a minute. Go on a long drive, you know? And if you would like to get in touch or you'd like to follow us on social media, this is how you can do so. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at FRM Podcast and email us at frmfan at gmail.com. Oh, <laughs> <laughs>